Welcome to You Can't Get to Heaven in a Miniskirt podcast, and this is our first episode of 2024. You sounded very sultry. Sultry. I was trying to be sexy. No. My name is Jessica. My name is Sarah. (laughs) We do ASMR now. (laughs) I'm trying out a sultry voice for 2024. That's my New Year's resolution. <laughs> no, it's not, but okay. Okay. Uh, I Yes. Uh, hello. Welcome. It is, like you said, our first episode of 2024. If you would like to support the show this year, we have bonus episodes, and they are on Patreon and on Apple Podcasts. So if you would like to support us on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash heaven and a miniskirt. We have quite the back catalog now, and I feel like I'm loving our bonus episodes. They're pretty fun. They're like a little more on hinge than the regular episodes. A little. <laughs> Less of a filter, maybe some more some more TMI. Definitely a lot more TMI for sure. And a lot of like purity culture bashing. We just like to go all out with the bonus episodes. We have a lot of fun. So you can support us there. If, and how do I want to say this? Secondly. <laughs> Secondly. <laughs> In this paragraph that I'm writing for my university essay, <laughs> Conversely, <laughs> Jessica, uh... I think what Jessica is trying to say is that if you would review and rate our podcast, if you like it, that would be amazing. Also, if you don't like it, you can rate and review. We want a good representation of what people's thoughts are so we can... We have some one-star reviews already, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah. My favorite is the one that's like, waste of time. Yes. Cool, thanks. <laughs> Yes, thank you, Sarah, because maybe I feel awkward asking people to do stuff. But if you were to rate and review our show, it would take you two seconds, but it would mean the absolute world to us if you could do that. And if you would like to follow us on social media, this is a pretty low effort thing. You can find us on Instagram at Heaven in a Miniskirt. That's where we're most active. We also have TikTok at Heaven in a Miniskirt and Twitter at Miniskirt Pod. We don't use those as much. So if you want to keep up with everything, I'd say Instagram right now is your best bet. And I lurk and occasionally will post on Reddit because of all the social media platforms that I spend the most time on personally, it's probably Reddit. And we have a username for the podcast, right? Is it heaven in a miniskirt? Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, I was, it was funny, you know, Reddit does like a Reddit recap, because like, fucking, you know who does, goddamn recaps, there's so many fucking recaps nowadays, like, okay, I just need to rant about this for two seconds, is that like, my President's Choice Optimum card was like, do you want to do your recap? I was like, <laughs> like, I don't need recap for my know, grocery like points. Tampons? Like, yeah. Okay, shoppers. It's like a specific Canadian thing. But like, it's like if it's like a Walgreens card was like, do you want your recap? Like, what? Why are we doing this? Like, I can't. Anyway, I saw on my Reddit recap, it said that I was part of the Exvangelical subreddit. And then one of your posts like popped up as like the example post. And I was like, oh, Sarah posted that. So I thought that was really exciting. So the, the subreddit Exvangelical is great for it. I guess I should probably plug that because it's a really good subreddit. Yeah, I love them. For those who were deconstructing. Oh, okay. So that's the intro. Oh my goodness. We got through it. Today, we have a fun one to kick off the new year. We're going to be talking about praying for your future husband. We're also going to be talking about soulmates. And how those two things intertwine within Christianity. But first, we need to talk about our New Year's resolutions, Sarah. Because last year, we made some New Year's resolutions. And we need to know, did we fulfill them? I don't even remember. I do. (laughs) Because I listened to it already. Because I pulled the audio. Duh. So I pulled the audio. And we're going to listen to it. 
and then we're going to talk about it. Okay, are you ready? Sounds good. So, Sarah, do you have a New Year's resolution this year? A New Year's resolution? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> my New Year's resolution. Is it to be in the Word, immerse yourself in the Word more, or like Scripture? Like, what do you think? I think it's to do the four main things that you need to do to connect with a higher power. You need to pray. You need to fast. <laughs> you need to meditate on the Word. And you need to read the Word. Those are not, no, 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 scratch that. I don't want to do that. My New Year's resolution is probably to sleep more. Okay. Probably just to sleep more and record more podcasts, I guess. Yeah. I have a resolution this year. Oh, okay. What is it? It is kind of extensive, so I'm just going to try to keep it brief because people are going to think I'm super pretentious. But there is such a lack of empathy in the world that it's like really scary. So what I've decided to do, because... My life is all about Christianity now for some unfathomable reason. I have <laughs> dove straight into this. I decided to take that idea of how there's like a lack of empathy and a lack of understanding and maybe apply it more to like my opinions of Christians and try to seek to understand where they're coming from instead of making fun of them and getting mad. I'm still going to make fun of them, though. But I think what I want to do is like seek to understand and have empathy for people rather than just be like, oh, well, they're stupid because they think this. Because I just don't think that's a very productive way to go through society at all. Do you think I can do it? <laughs> I don't think I can. I think so. And I think that's something that we could all do more of. Okay. That's it. Do you want to react first? Do you want my initial thoughts? I want yours because I've listened to it a couple times already since I pulled the audio. So what do you think initially? I think mine were like pretty basic, like sleep more. Did you do it? Did um, you do it? <laughs> you know what? Like as someone who has generalized anxiety and like has struggled with sleep issues, has been dependent on marijuana to sleep in the past, I actually sleep pretty well now. The only caveat there, which is outside my control is my child has had sleep regression so but like but otherwise no i sleep really well yeah i'm sleeping great Good for you okay. which is and i wow. can even nap i'm a great sleeper these days probably the, the best of my life oh my god okay wow you got your news resolution good job zara yeah and then the other Pretty one clap. the other part that i had was record my podcast which we have definitely done i think yeah. our popularity rose by 991 percent according to the spotify recap <laughs> That's so crazy. I know. So wild. Wow. Went from like one follower to like, I don't know. like It doesn't take that much when you only have like 15 followers when you start. But that's, yes, we have recorded a lot more podcasts. I'm just really proud of what we've done. And I feel like I've learned so much through this process. Oh, my God. Yes. Well, that kind of brings me to my New Year's resolution, which when I made the resolution, I did remember it because I did actually try to do it. But when I hear myself say it, I'm like, holy shit, I wasn't doing that before. Like, I wasn't seeking to understand rather than like, because I... Le you were less so, I think. Oh, for sure. It's just really bizarre to hear that I wasn't doing that because I still jump to conclusions. But I'm definitely like, within the last year, my the way that I think is so much more nuanced than it was before. And doing this podcast has changed my brain, like for sure. I am absolutely not the same person that I was when you visited me in May of 2022 and we got the idea for the podcast. And I think like what I've been learning too is like to allow myself to feel angry and that it's okay to be angry and I can be 
really I can be mad about the fucked up shit that's happening in the world that's happening because of you know religious institutions but at the same time at the end of the day that does not make every single person within those institutions fucked up and that and I'm not gonna make anything better by being an asshole I think that's what I've really come to learn okay yeah so do you want to make a new year's resolution for 2024 and then we can talk about it this time next year to see if we've gotten there I think my New Year's resolution is to have better boundaries and to not make everything about me in my head because that's anxiety. It's funny how we can make things so centric on ourselves when it's like, you know, people really don't waste their time thinking about you. And if they do, they're not worth it anyway. So I want to take that and actually put that into practice, which is sometimes difficult when you have an anxious brain. I'm sure you would relate Yes, I love that for you. I definitely do that a little bit too. I'd say at this point in my life, maybe not as much as you, but I definitely do it. But you get it because you call it out on me. Like sometimes you're like, I feel like I'm being so mean, but I'm like, no, this is why you're my best friend. I'm the craziest tough love bitch with Sarah. It's like, I actually feel bad all the time. Every time I text her, I'm like, okay, let's back it up. We got to stop in our tracks before you start to spiral because I can feel the spiral coming. And then it makes me angry that you're, because I'm crazy. I'm like mean to you about it. And then I feel really bad. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I I wouldn't keep coming back if it wasn't good. (laughs) Okay. I'm glad it's helpful. And I, well, I think that's the advantage of like lifelong best friends because like you yeah. know me probably better than anyone. There's no veil there. Like you can. We're not like other girls. We don't take everything so seriously. We can talk to each other and we yeah, can get pick mad. me. Other <laughs> girls just care about makeup and hair. But we are <laughs> so deep and philosophical. Oh, yeah, we're different. We're yeah. just different. Okay. Oh my God. I hate myself. Okay. That's a really good New Year's resolution. And we'll be following up about that. And how about you? This was kind of a hard one because I'm so perfect. So (laughs) fuck you. She's not. She's equally crazy, y'all. I'm like probably crazier. I think that it's going to be somewhat more simple. And I think I just want to read more philosophy books this year. I think that's great. Uh, I think literally everyone should have a philosophy course. I one of the things that I love most about philosophy, especially reading the classics, like reading like Plato and Aristotle and Socrates and Marcus Aurelius and like Sappho like there's so many good ones and the the amazing thing is you're like okay this person was writing this thousands of years ago but they had the same thoughts and questions and like the same sort of wonderings about the universe as I do and I feel like it just like transcends time and space and it's so beautiful to connect with other humans across centuries and millennia. Sappho you know who Sappho was right? Like you know what sapphic means? Sapphic means like lesbian because Sappho was like this female philosopher back in I think the time of Plato and she was like bisexual or queer and she was talking about I think her love of women and this quote said you may forget but let me tell you this someone in some future time will think of us oh yeah I just think it's and that's cool. us right now look at us look at us look at us right now connecting with Sappho connecting isn't that something so Sarah okay we're gonna do uh a hard pivot right now and get into hard pivot. We're going to get into the episode that you came here for. Let's see if anyone actually made it this far into the episode. If everyone was like, hey, we don't care about your New Year's resolutions or maybe they do and they actually want to hear the episode. And if you have New Year's resolutions, message us, please DM us and let us know. Maybe we'll talk about them on the next episode. I don't know. OK, we're talking today about 
praying for her future husbands, which I think is going to immediately trigger quite a few people. And we're going to also intertwine that with talking about soulmates and what Christianity thinks about soulmates, because those two intertwine quite a bit. So we're going to jump back and forth a little bit. So first, before we start, and this is kind of funny because we were just talking about philosophy, is we're going to be talking about philosophy (laughs) and historical context for soulmates. So our views about soulmates and love in society, secularly as well, because I just want to like lay the groundwork for this because our views as in a society have absolutely not always been this way, especially in biblical times. So at the time that the Bible was written, most people were getting married for convenience. Like not a lot of people are getting married because they found their one true love. That's why I always found it bizarre that this rhetoric about soulmates was talked about within the church. And we'll touch on that. But I wanted to give some historical context. So we're going to talk about Plato. And he is often credited to be the first philosopher to discuss soulmates. So in his text called Symposium, which is dated about 380-ish BCE, they mention kind of this idea of like a soulmate or a twin flame. So like the setting of the dialogue is a group of men that have come together at a symposium which I guess is like the after party of an ancient Greek banquet. And one of the attendees challenges all the men to give a speech praising the god Eros, which is the god of love. There are seven men who give speeches, including Socrates, but we're mostly going to talk about the speech that Aristophanes gave. So he's a philosopher as well. There's also a lot of talk about like older men having sex with young boys, but we're just going to blow past that because we're just going to talk about Aristophanes' speech. The speech is in the form of a myth, and the meaning has had debate amongst some scholars. This is the myth, and this will, like, give context to, like, a few things that we're going to talk about because when I read this, I was like, oh, my God, like, this is where all these people get this twin flame idea. So long ago, there were three genders, male, female, and androgynous. Males were said to have descended from the sun, the females from the earth, and the androgynous couples from the moon. And each person was twice what they are now. Essentially, they had four hands, four legs, two heads, two sets of genitals, etc. So there's like two people mashed into one. I can't help you with the visual on that. You might have to Google it. They were very powerful and they kept attacking the gods. So Zeus decided to cut each person in two. And then because they longed for their original nature, people kept trying to find their other half and reunite with it. So when they found their other half, they would embrace and stay together, not wanting anything else. And the story was also seems to be pretty pro-gay because there's some halves that are the same sex. So that's pretty cool. So Aristophanes gives this speech and he tells this story. And this is what scholars think maybe this is where the idea of soulmates came from. And so during all of my research on soulmates and twin flames and praying to your future husband i came across the definition a lot of twin flames i just hate the word twin flames because i know there's a cult out there called twin flames oh it triggers i know all about it it's so triggering but we're gonna it's still like they can't take that word like it's not their phrase so it's been it was around a long time before jeff and shalia got their claws and people so what is a twin flame a twin flame is an intense soul connection with someone thought to be the person's other half sometimes called a mirror soul. It's based on the idea that sometimes one soul gets split into two bodies. So you can see the parallels of those the story that Aristophanes gave and then the literal definition of twin flames that like relationship and love gurus are using. You're today. missing half, your other half. Your... Yeah. 
And then it's interesting because some people are like, your twin flame is not necessarily a romantic partner either. Sometimes your twin flame can just be like a friend. Maybe you're my twin flame, Sarah. So now we're going to move forward in time. In medieval times, people were still often getting married for like convenience or like economical reasons. But there is some literature that depicts people who have an idealized or divine love. Like the examples that I found was like King Arthur and Queen Guinevere and... That was like a true love story, whereas maybe marriage by, at that time wasn't quite like that. So you can see things changing. And then in the Enlightenment era, which is the 17th and 18th centuries, in the Western world, that's when like individualism started to be emphasized, personal freedom, pursuit of happiness. And then that idea had an impact on how people perceive marriage. So they're like, oh, maybe I should get married out of love and actually be happy. We see stories like Romeo and Juliet, right, coming out of that era. Yeah. So you start to see the concept of marrying for love gain traction among the emerging middle class. Now, in Christian history, what does Christian history say about soulmates? And I want to say not a lot. Something interesting to note is the records within Christianity and Judaism that talk about Christ's love for Israel and the church that's like in a soul matey kind of way we talked about Song of Solomon in a bonus episode and that was like it's like the erotic love poem for Christ's love for the church but like we're not really sure it sounds like it was just like an erotic poem but that's the way that many Christians are interpreting it and one of the first and most influential people to discuss Christ being our soulmate was Origen of Alexandria so he was a second century mystic who became the first great Christian theologian and he views Jesus as his divine soulmate. So he anticipates at the end of time, his soul will cleave to Christ. So he will never be apart from him again. And he does this by using like pretty erotic literature. So there's that. It's a little gay. We could, I wish I would have talked about that in Song of Solomon bonus episode, but maybe we'll get into more of Origin of Alexandria. He's an interesting character. There's so many people. There's so many theologians and philosophers. Like I don't, how does anyone keep this all in their head? I'm not sure. That's your history lesson for today. How would that feel? Did it feel like school? No, no, it's interesting. Cool. Because we're done with history. We're done with philosophy. We're get, we're going to jump right into biblical perspectives on love and soulmates. Lovely. Are you excited? And modern day. Well, I think like the yeah. image of Adam and Eve, right? Like having... A helper that was made suitable to him. And made from part of him. Yeah, exactly. Like made from his side. And the verse that a man will leave his mother and father and he will cleave to his wife and they will become one flesh. Like very similar to the people with two genitals and four hands. So the Bible verse that you were talking about was Mark 10, verse 7 to 9. Because I had... Well, it's in Genesis, down. but Jesus quotes it. Oh, okay. Because basically like when I was going through all of the research, the, the same Bible verses kept coming up. They're like, okay, well, these are like the four Bible verses in the entire Bible that are like men and women become one or like wives and husbands. And that's how it goes in Christianity, right? Like you find like five verses that fit your worldview and then you're good to go. So that's a very big generalization. But the Mark 10 verse 7 and 9, it says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. That's why there's controversy around the around divorce. And yeah. that has split whole sects of Christianity around disagreeing with divorce and why or what is a valid circumstance to divorce. So, Sarah, 
What do you remember being taught? And we're going to only talk specifically right now about soulmates. We'll talk about praying for your future husband in a second, but soulmates specifically. Can you remember what you were taught in the church about it versus what you were taught in the secular world about it? Yes. I feel like in church, I was very much taught that God has like chosen one person that's specifically for you. That person would be of the opposite sex. Yes. yes. <laughs> so as, as a woman, God has chosen a man for you. And, you know, like he's growing up and he might be praying for you and you might be praying for him. And it's good to think about like your body is not your own. Your body is also your future husband's. And so mm. your body's a temple. And so how you're treating it, what you're putting in your body, alcohol, dick, if you're doing any of that, <laughs> that all is coming back and that will impact your relationship with your future husband. And yeah. this is, and it's so idealized because it's like, you know, you're going to meet this person and you're just going to know. And you always had, you know, the youth pastor and I got my smoking hot wife, Jen, and we met and we... Why is it always a smoking hot it's wife? It's always a smoking hot wife. She can't do anything else. She, we don't know anything about Jen. She's just, <laughs> I, you know, I got my smoking hot wife, Jen, and I prayed and I was good and, and God gave me her and now we're married and have three kids. I met her in my first week of Bible college. And I knew immediately. And we prayed and we got engaged after two weeks. And now now my smoking hot wife, Jen, gives me blowjobs every week. It's great. <laughs> my life is great. <laughs> yeah, everything's great. But it was a very male. Well, no, it wasn't just male centric because we also had female youth leaders. And, and there's the one I'm thinking of right now is actually like her name was actually Jen. And Jen would, you know, sometimes they would like separate men and women or boys and girls if we want to do it that way and and they would talk to us about purity and the importance of dressing modestly the importance of like respecting our bodies but mostly it wasn't about respecting our bodies it was about making it so men were not tempted because they're like i need you to think of every man as someone's future husband yeah we're the ones who have to police ourselves so that uh, men don't get tempted because they can't possibly they cannot possibly just look away and be an adult they're animals, Sarah. They are animals. And while we were being talked to about this, the boys went to go play dodgeball. And then I think I think like in secular society, the contrast, like a lot of the same rhetoric was present, but it wasn't through a Christian lens. It wasn't through a spiritual lens. It was more just like everyone has that person that they just really connect with, that person that they love. And, you know, it might take some time dating to figure out who the one is. But you're supposed to like objectively know that the one is the one before you're getting married to them and then going on and riding off into the sunset. I feel like fairy tales, Disney. And then just the idea of the one. The idea of the one, right? True love's first kiss. You know, you wake up from your slumber and then you ride off into the sunset. That was the message that Disney sold us. That was the message that every fucking rom-com sold us. And like the love that doesn't fucking exist. So much of our experience as women growing up in the 90s and 2000s, like regardless of it was within the church or outside the church, so much of our experience and what we saw in the media was us not as independent agents, but us in relation to men. She's looking for a man. She's a spinster. She's miserable. She's, and we're still doing that. We're seeing Taylor Swift as a person of the year and you have these fucking pastors that are tweeting or talking in their sermons being like, 
oh, she's a miserable middle-aged cat lady. And it's I like, oh my God, you would that. never say that about men. You would never talk about his relationship status because you just care about what he does as a human. But all of her accomplishments, you can strip them away because she's not married and doesn't have children. Like, well, one thing is that like the way that we put marriage on a pedestal and the way that we put relationships on a pedestal is a product of our upbringing. Because why is being in a romantic relationship the epitome of life goals? I would say especially for women. I'm married. And I'm married to a man and I'm happily married to a man. So I am coming at it from a different place. Like I understand if you're single, yes, it is really nice to have your person. But what I've realized since meeting my husband and going through that journey in the relationship is that like my relationship with him is important, but my relationship with my family and my friends and my girlfriends, those are things that are so sacred. And those are things that never die. Like our friendship, Sarah, is so special. And, and one person can't be everything. And I think that we were taught that like that's going to be your person, your other half, and they're going to fulfill you when like fulfillment isn't just it can't be one person that provides all that. It's so toxic to think that because then you have such unrealistic expectations. Yeah. And that's well, that goes for secular and in Christian culture, but was really interesting because what you just said hit the nail on the head where we were taught that you're going to find this person that's going to fulfill everything in you. And the way that they taught us was like, you don't need anyone else. And it's just like, it teaches you to be like incredibly codependent. So when I was doing research, that was the type of shit that I was expecting to find when I looked up like Christian marriage advice or like soulmate advice from Christian therapists. The advice that they're giving is the advice that we would expect to receive as secular adults, which is, one person isn't going to fulfill everything in their yes. mind. They're like, look, like you got to turn to Jesus. Jesus is going to fulfill you or your friends, but also Jesus, number one. But, you know, there is this one website that's like, oh, this woman came to me and she was like, my husband's not my soulmate and I want to leave him. And then the advice is the person that you are married to is your soulmate. So because Christianity is quite against divorce. But they, they did give like decent advice where it was like, your relationship isn't just going to be perfect. You have to work at it. I think focus on the families actually like they give some advice about divorce. That's what was so weird is that all of these websites that I found was absolutely not the rhetoric that was being shoved down our fucking throats when we were kids. I'm glad that at least if there is a Christian married couple out there and they're trying to Google some advice, they're probably going to get like, okay advice at least from the top of google if they want someone looking through a christian lens so th i found that really interesting that yeah. that was the because i was like okay well that's not going to make for a very juicy episode and then but i was like no no no. the things that i was told as a child are valid like the memories that i have are valid the memories that you have are valid this is absolutely not the information that we were given when we were younger but i think that this is in a way i find this encouraging because you see that society oh my goodness like the me too movement happened and even before that, society has evolved so much in their view of gender and what it means to have equality. Like it used to be like a stigma to call yourself a feminist. And I feel like a lot of people are taking back that word now. I hope so. Yeah, but I feel like I feel like it's encouraging to see that things have evolved because I know I'm aware of spaces and people that I know in my life that are parts of sects of Christianity that are very old school and that the messaging would be way more intense than when I was a kid. Like one of the people that we would have worked at camp with who homeschools and has five children right now, like she'll post on her joint Facebook account with her husband being like, thank you, God, for blessing me like with such a good leader. He's such a good leader. Is he, though? I don't want to bash her, but I'm just like that worldview is 
20 steps out of left field from like what we were raised in. Like I know she would have been raised in a totally different kind of household where it was much more egalitarian than that. And that, my friend, is Joyful Female Submission. Yeah. The joint Facebook account really just, that that's the cherry on top of the whole conversation. So yes, there are extremes. But the advice that's on Google hopefully is going to appeal to more mainstream Christians and like the majority of Christians and obviously the fundamentalists like the really hardcore fundamentalists like Terry Berga and Mark Driscoll yeah like they're gonna be like Google is of the devil anyway they're not gonna want you to take that advice but I'm not gonna talk about Mark Driscoll today because we're gonna go rage on another we've already thing. mentioned smoke and hot wife bros and that's like I that is him literally <laughs> that like. that is li- he created that we're going to talk about something else that's going to make us angry. Okay, cool. Which is a book that I found when I literally Googled praying for your future husband. Is it called praying for your future husband? Praying for your future yes. husband. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> Preparing your heart for his. That is the title of the book. It. I, I had to read it. I was compelled. I must. I had to get it and read it. The spirit of the Lord compelled you. It did. The Holy Spirit really led me to this book. It was written in 2011. Oh, so it's like more modern. Yeah, by Robin Jones Gunn and Trisha Goyer. So Robin wrote a series of books called the Christy Miller Collection. Does that ring a bell? I don't know. It's like about this Christian girl, like going, it's like Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, but Christian, but not traveling. I don't know. Okay. So it's just centering young female experience within the church. Yes. Fiction. Yeah. And it's like a young adult novel. So. I guess she's famous for that. And I'm sorry if I triggered anybody. That's just like, oh, my God, those books. So this book was a fucking doozy. I ended up getting really angry while reading this book. Not surprising, I know. Okay. I had to really, like, sit with that feeling and be like, why? Why is this upsetting me so much? Because the longer I read it, the worse it got. And I still haven't really pinpointed exactly, like, besides the fact that it's, like, super fucking annoying and, like, this advice is horrible... I can't quite pinpoint why I hated it. So what we'll do is that we'll go through the book and then we're going to figure out why we hate it so much. Okay. There are several chapters in the book and each chapter follows like the same formula. So do I get to read quotes? (laughs) Oh boy. Do we ever. Okay. There's stories from the authors about how they found their husbands. There's bullet point lists on various subjects such as how do I pray that my future husband will be a God lover? How do I pray that my future husband is loyal and faithful? How do I pray that my future husband will guard his intimacy with others? So things like that. Okay. There are example prayers for yourself and your future husband. And there's some testimonies in true Christian fashion. Love a good testimony. And the testimonies, the section is called, she prayed, dot, 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 God answered. So there's a lot of talk about purity and like staying pure in heart and body for your future husband. So the first section we'll read is, how do I begin to pray for my future husband's heart? I'm going to text it to you and you can read it out, okay? Sure. So, Sarah, if you're like reading this book and you're like, I need to begin to pray for my future husband. This is laying the groundwork for you. I know in the depths of my heart that I will never have a future husband. Just saying. (laughs) How do I begin to pray for my future husband's heart? You begin by entering into a heart-to-heart relationship with God yourself. Okay. Pray that your future husband will become a Christian. Pray that he will read God's word and that it will transform his heart. Pray that the Lord will clear any of the obstacles in the path that are keeping him from coming to Christ. What if he became a Christian at three? Maybe he's already a Christian, okay? Pray that God will send someone to tell him the good news of salvation. 
Pray that God will prepare his heart to hear and respond to God's call. Okay, we're making the assumption that future husband is not already a Christian. But the odds are, if I am 14-year-old Jen, I'm just going to use the name Jen for this entire one. If I'm 14-year-old Jen in a church and I'm only looking for guys at youth group because I don't want to be unevenly yoked, then I'm probably (sighs) going to meet someone who's already saved. They talk about yolks a lot. Not to be confused with eggs. This is Yeah, like it's always like egg yolks. Like I don't. (laughs) All I can think about. Okay, when I hear the word yolked, like evenly yolked, I just think about a bodybuilder putting eggs into a blender and then blending it and then drinking that. That's all. I don't know why. It's very specific. That's that all is I very think specific. About, so. Do you know, just a side note, that some people use that verse, like certain churches, to extend to relationships outside of just uh, oh. partnership, like to be like, you shouldn't have best friends that are. Oh, man, that's not cool. Yeah. It's like cult like a little bit, eh? Uh, Yeah. No fucking kidding. So it's actually, this is, it's Second Corinthians six fourteen. It says, do not be unevenly yoked with unbelievers. Y-O-K-E-D. So basically, when ox are, like, transporting shit, they have the yoke, which is, like, the wooden thing on their back. And if they, if you don't have the same amount of weight on both sides, then the ox is going to, like, fall over, essentially. Oh. So it's, like, you need to have the same sort of views. You need to be similar. And it's not, like, untrue. I think that values-wise, it's really important to have similar goals and values if you're raising a family or you're in a partnership with someone but that's but they're I, like oh no you need to love jesus evenly but as a kid i definitely thought it was egg yolk like no one explained that to me till i was older yeah i still literally i am 33 and i was like oh it means something about an ox weird but doesn't that visual <laughs> like doesn't that help you see that like the ox is gonna like fall over if like yeah. it's too light on one side but i feel like you said earlier you did say the c word cult and <laughs> so i feel like yeah, this is a interesting cult tactic. And and like caveat, Christianity isn't a cult. Certain sects of Christianity are cult adjacent. And I think it is clearly dependent on like how much it consumes of someone's life. But if your church is dictating blah, 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 like every little detail, then that's a red flag, obviously. Yeah, but I'm just thinking like specifically like this being evenly yoked, not eggs, with somebody. <laughs> it's, it is cult-like because this whole like rhetoric surrounding getting married young and having as many kids as possible within Christianity and cults, like there is a parallel there. And the way they do it is by priming women and men, girls and boys from such a young age to be thinking about these things. Because no 11-year-old that I've met in the real world is like my future husband. I'm thinking about him. I'm journaling about him. I'm meditating on things for him. That is so fucking true, Sarah. Okay, so... Good example. My husband's family, absolutely not Christian, never went to church, the whole family, just not. When I met my husband, I was 25. And because of my being raised in my teenagers in the church, I thought it was just so important to get married. But when I met his sister, who's a few years younger than me, she was just like, I've like never thought about that. Like, I guess like someday I want to get married. I don't know. Like, that's just not my priority. And I'm like, my God, how much better my life would have been if this wasn't fucking on my mind all the time. And then I realized like, oh, not everybody was so obsessed with marriage like we were because me and you in our minds, no matter how atheistic we were, that was primed within us to get married young. And it took me a long time to realize, oh, like that was like specifically because of Christianity. I agree. Having those views, like it's so implicit. You don't realize it. But when that is what you're hearing your entire life as a young girl, 
then that shapes so much. Like, I wasn't a Christian anymore when I got married, but I had mm -hmm. so much, I put so much pressure on the relationship and I got engaged after just a year and a half when I was 24 years old and got married when I was 25 and got pregnant when I was 25. I just wanted to be normal. I, I wanted that life to play out well for me. And I wanted to, be, I wanted approval. I felt like in a way, if I'm not a Christian, at least like I'll, at least I'm doing the, the right things. Yeah. Quote unquote. Exactly. And same. I think that's exactly it. There was a way that I thought my life was supposed to go because of the things that we were taught when we were younger. And it was like, okay, you need to graduate from university, which was like, thank God that we had families that were like, well, you need an education yeah. job. So we we were both from those kind of households, which was great. And then in my mind, I'm like, okay. And then the next thing is like, get married. And I was engaged when I was 23 and then not engaged by the time I was 24. Yeah. But when I look back on that engagement, I'm like, why was I so obsessed? And I, it, it took me a really long time doing this podcast to realize like oh like this it's this christian shit it's this curriculum of talking about future husbands that really fucked me up and okay i think that's why this book made me so mad because it's trying to prescribe a life to these young girls that like it doesn't necessarily exist in this way for you i think you can still get married young and have like a successful yeah. relationship and be happy and i think people have all kinds of different priorities but i think having this one-size-fits-all approach and recommendation to life that is hammered into you from such a young age is just so toxic. Like, even from yeah. a sexuality standpoint, I never... Growing up, I always pictured my future with, like, marrying a man, having the babies, and having my career or whatever, but it was always with a man. There was no alternate reality. There was no ever option. There was never an option to have a different image of the future. Yeah. And even same here. And it has to do a little bit with grown-up Christian, but a little bit just to... Oh, just culture, I think. Culture as well, within the 90s and early 2000s. Like, being gay, being a lesbian was like, oh, like, well, it was fetishized, and it was, like, made fun of, and it was just weird, right? So back to the book. We we're not done the book. Yeah, yet. yeah. There's a bit more to go through here. As I said earlier, there's, like, testimonies. Do I get to read a testimony? Yeah. Amazing. I have my phone ready. I'm just waiting to get... Okay. I'm going to start. Basically, I paraphrased the first little bit. And then I'll give you the part that's not paraphrased. Okay. So I'm just going to paraphrase the beginning because it's a long story. So this was just such a wild ride. I had to give it a shout out. So this lady wrote in and she said that she promised God at a young age that she wouldn't get married unequally yoked. She met a man who was from a secular Jewish family and wouldn't marry him unless he accepted Jesus. And then you take it away, Sarah. Eventually, I gave him a copy of The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. I got to stop you. So we talked about this book in our Book of Revelation episode. Uh, this is the book from the 70s that is like... It's the precursor to Left Behind series. Yes, okay, exactly. Okay. So that's why I was like, the late Great Planet Earth. Are you fucking serious? Oh okay. All right. So she introduced the late Great Planet Earth. Okay. And it was through God's word found in that book that Oliver came to the realization that he needed Yeshua in his life. Soon after that, I had the privilege of leading Oliver to his Messiah, Yeshua. He asked me again to marry him, and this time I said yes. We've been married for 27 years and have experienced God's extreme blessings as we have spent our lives equally yoked, taking the message of the Messiah to the Jewish people. <laughs> I know. Oh. I was like, Ugh. 
So they're messianic Jews. That's what you call uh, Jews that become Christians. Messianic Jews. <laughs> I feel like it's like a, that story was okay. It was a wild ride for so many reasons because it's like, oh, I need to convert this man in order to get married. And then I'm going to give him the late great planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. And that's going to be the thing that converts him. And look, I read about half of this book and it is fucking crazy. Like it is. Oh, that's a wild book. And it's about like, oh, the Cold War is means that Jesus is coming back and like Zionism. And it's basically perpetuating the prophecies within the book of Revelation to start the end times. That's what this book is. Did you know that there are also end time prophecies in the Quran? And it was really interesting. They keep coming up on my TikTok. I don't know why I got into like Quran TikTok. <laughs> TikTok algorithm. Man. But they, and this is my personal one. And they're like bringing up prophecies. And I'm like, everyone thinks they have an end time prophecy. Everyone. Oh, well, that's, that's like the mark of a religion is an end time prophecy. It, it is, it's not a religion until there's like an apocalypse involved. So that's one of the stories that was in there that I was just like, whoa, lady. There's also a story about a 15 year old christian girl who passes away and her father found letters she was writing to her future husband and then like sent them to the author of the book so here's a quote from it right now i feel so clean pure and innocent i want to always be that way until we meet purity is about keeping your heart mind and body pure i want my heart to stay intact so that i can give it to you i want to give you my heart on my wedding day i long to be in a white wedding gown walking down the aisle to my beloved with my dad on my arm. I lift my eyes behind my veil to see my true love. So I think when I read that, that's where like I just wanted to tap out of this book because this is just so weird and gross, but also what we were taught as kids. Yeah. There, there's the idea of soulmates right there. Whereas like these current Christian marriage therapists, they, they have more of a realistic view of soulmates that like there's not one person out there. Yeah, some people are more compatible than others, blah, 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 blah. But then you read shit like this. Well, it's like Jeremiah 29, 11, like, for I have a plan for you, says the Lord, plans for prosper, not destruction, for hope in a future. Like, we take, again, cherry picking. People take one verse and they're like, yeah. Exactly. So then that this part continues in the book and it says, in all the ways that matter, every one of this girl's wishes and requests for her future husband had come true in heaven. She had faithfully prayed for her future husband, never realizing how her prayers would be answered. She was now face to face with her true love. She was clothed in a pure white gown. She was able to present to her prince of peace, her whole heart, clean, pure, and innocent. I know. Okay, like she died and that's really sad, but I don't know. I just don't think that's very comforting. Death is hard. I think that sometimes, sometimes I really feel like that's why religion was created to help humans deal with their uncomfortable feelings about death and not just humans i think like parents dealing with kids having questions about death because that is the yeah. most uncomfortable <laughs> thing to deal with because you're like well <laughs> fuck as adults we just kind of ignore it and we're like well it's uncomfortable but like when kids are just asking these blatant questions you want easy answers and religion <laughs> tell me what questions your kids have recently asked you because um, your kids always have the greatest questions okay well my partner's dead cat there's like a little grave at her parents' house. It's uh -huh. buried there. And my five-year-old or almost five-year-old was like obsessed with this and kept like trying to talk to it. And she's like, I can't hear it. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> Buddy's in the ground. Buddy is dead. And then she was like, so Buddy was running and then he pulled him and put him in the ground. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like Buddy died. He was old. And so there's, okay, trying to see her grasp death. And then like my other one, she's just like, 
the earth is gonna explode in billions of years and i don't want it to explode because the sun's gonna explode and i don't want the planets to die and i wish we had magic so planets and people didn't die and now i want to puke and like my brain needs to stop thinking about this your daughter said this. my seven-year-old yeah and I was like, oh, no. Okay, Sarah, I think I think she might have gotten your anxiety. I'm not sure, though. It's really hard to tell. And then I was like, okay, humans are really smart. We have science. Like, I'm sure humans will yeah. figure out a way to leave Earth if that's going to happen <laughs> in billions of years. But like... But also, like, you're going to be dead. But how do you... Then you got to talk yeah, to your seven-year-old about death. But for that story, like, I can understand why I said, well, why would that be comforting? But if that's your belief system, to think that somehow your daughter's wishes and her dreams were somehow fulfilled in the afterlife, I can see that that would bring you some comfort. But it's still, like, morbid and gross and makes me very uncomfortable. That's a really good way to put it. This book gave me a lot of uncomfortable feelings. So that was kind of it with the book. It's such a doozy. Like, this book, basically, it I think it was popular enough that perhaps people that are listening might have at least received it or read it and it's definitely marketed for teenage girls yeah not gay boys not gay boys what if they want to pray for their future husbands (laughs) oh i don't know about that but the last thing i wanted to say about the book is they talk about loyalty faithfulness and it says do you need to be reminded of some guidelines as you develop faithfulness in your own life here you go. And here's a bu- bullet list that we'll kind of discuss here. It says, don't go too far, either physically or emotionally. Do wait. Don't get too close. Do trust God. Don't get too intimate. Do set up boundaries. Don't try to cover up your failures. Do confess and receive God's forgiveness. Don't go back to places where you stumble before. Do set new patterns and behaviors. Don't date guys who are disrespectful. And do seek out guys who are faithful in all of their relationships. So there's some advice for you. And I mean, I think that men that follow to a T like Christianity and like the purity culture version of it, like in terms of like respecting women, it's not actually even respecting women as partners and equals because they put women on a pedestal. They infantilize Mm -hmm. women. They want women that are pure and naive and childlike and they want to own they want something that is theirs but that's also what they were taught yeah it's like how we were taught to pray for the future husband and that our future husband will be our true love and that we're we should write letters they were taught a certain thing too and when as a child you're taught this like that's your view on the world unless you go ahead and deconstruct that like you're going to hold on to that until you die because your reality is what you are taught within your upbringing all right so that was the book Uh, don't read it it was horrible would you like to know what our two favorite websites focus on the family and gotquestions.org say about soulmates so i think the focus on the family is going to be slightly better than gotquestions.org and better in an unironic sense like less toxic focus on the family okay so i found their section about soulmates it says the search for quote unquote the one is often an idolatrous pursuit As Christians, we must believe that our primary meaning comes from our relationship with God. And then Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Thus, a Christian should not consider any marital union that would not feed this primary relationship with God. You'll bring great misery into your life if you ignore this command. (laughs) It's just like very ominous. I think it'd be miserable, like me being with a Christian and having that world, like having that worldview difference, being with anyone who is like, overtly religious it would be really hard I, I think that's actually not bad advice 
I do know people that are in marriages, one is a Christian, one is not, but it just, it totally depends on the upbringing and you can respect somebody else's beliefs, but also not believe in what they believe. And as long as both partners are okay with that, then I think it can work out. Not with evangelicals though, not that mindset of like everyone's going to burn in hell. Yeah. And I think that there are differences. So moving on, they say on Focus on the Family that they want someone who walks with you while you apply biblical love, a love based on sacrifice and not feelings. They believe that women should submit to their husbands. And servant leadership. Yeah. Then they have another article and it's called Settling for a Spouse and how people don't want to settle, which is like, that's fair. You don't want to spend your whole life with someone that you don't like. So this is a quote from it. It says, what sense does it make to undertake marriage based primarily on a list of self-centered and often petty preferences? If your idea of attraction, whatever that is, dominates your pursuit of a spouse, consider this. Is your approach biblical? The Bible calls for us to reject the world's approach to love and marriage. If if you have a biblical understanding of human nature, then you will realize that in one sense, everybody settles. Every person who decides to marry makes the decision to marry a sinner. For we all fall short of the glory of God. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's I think that was like one of the biggest things is like we all marry sinners can we ever have like any positive views on humanity within christianity without yeah Jesus? there's i remember people within new frontiers that thought that certain christians could attain sinless perfection can we talk oh, about how fucked that is that's actually on. a belief that's actually a belief what? yeah really within new from oh my god within certain sects of christianity that you can be so close to god that you attain sinless perfection and if you could see our faces right now, um, that first of all, cult. And also like that is like the pursuit of a narcissist and somebody who is just straight up lying. Yeah. Ego much? Sinless perfection. Oh, my God. OK, well, one thing that really struck me about this focus on the family article is that they say, basically, if your idea of attraction, whenever that is, dominates your pursuit of a spouse, consider this. Is your approach biblical? And I just want to say like to find a spouse i think the very first thing is that you need to be attracted to them and you know what song of solomon's attraction is a big part it is erotic and i think that most christians would also agree yeah Yeah. like i don't want to marry someone that i'm not attracted to and (laughs) just the smoking hot wife just keeps popping back into my brain (laughs) (laughs) we need a smoking hot wife in the mix okay and i is your approach biblical like it I don't, I think it's a biblical because like you said, Sarah, Song of Solomon. There you go. That's pretty biblical. So focus on the family, get it together. Now we're going on to gotquestions.org. There is an article titled, Is There Such Thing as Soulmates? I I paraphrased a bit of it. So it says, they think the concept of a soulmate is used as an excuse for divorce, which is, quote, blatantly unbiblical. And if you're married, the person you married is your soulmate. So... If they're abusive, if you hate them, if they're a horrible person, well, that's too fucking bad. And you know that some sects of Christianity, if someone gets legally divorced and then remarries, they view that person as committing adultery against their original spouse. I have heard of that. Yes. (laughs) Just fun facts. This was a fun this was a fun quote from it. It says, quote, no matter how disharmonious a marriage is, God can bring healing, forgiveness, restoration and true marital love and harmony. And this, folks, is why, unfortunately, lots of people have stayed in abusive, toxic, downright horrible relationships because guess what? We're just waiting for God to change his heart. 
Like, oh my yeah. God. God will intervene. He always does. He'll never give you more than you can handle. And then it goes on to say that God will always steer you in the right direction if you trust him. But even if you, in a time of disobedience, choose the wrong person, that was also still his plan. Whatever the fuck that means. We should, we could do a whole episode on God's will. This like vague concept that everyone was trying to figure out. What does God want? What is God's will? I spent so much of my life just trying to mull over what God wanted me to do. Oh, you're so right. You did. You did. And I know that you did because we've talked about it. We talked about it when you were younger. This was definitely something because as an anxious person, you were very fixated on that. And I just one great piece of advice I had from a youth leader that said, Sarah, maybe it's not God's will for what you're doing, but how you're doing the things in your life. Like you could do anything and still serve God, whether you become a social worker or a teacher or a nurse or like whatever job you're doing, you can still serve God in doing that job. It's more about your heart and not about what you're doing. And that was very helpful for me. That is actually very helpful. Okay. And then the last the last quote here, it says, nothing we do can disrupt God's sovereign will. God can take any two people, no matter how mismatched, and mold them into two people that who are perfect for each other. He is Cupid. Oh, he, God is Cupid. God is a naked little angel going around and shooting arrows. Yeah. So I think the God questions one was actually a lot more problematic because it's like people use soulmates as an excuse to divorce. God can bring healing to any relationship. And even if you choose the wrong person in a moment of disobedience, actually, that was God's will in the first place. And it is just turning my mind into a pretzel. Like it doesn't this doesn't make any sense. They're trying to connect dots that don't exist. Okay, so we're done with that. Do you want to continue discussing this or do we want to move on? Because I fucking hate these two websites. Let's move on. Okay, so. That was kind of it for my research, because what I wanted to just touch on is I wanted to talk about what did we learn when we were younger about soulmates. And one thing that I didn't touch on before is something that I learned in church was that each Christian relationship has three pillars, physical, emotional and spiritual. And the general goal is for all to be equal. And in my teenage Christian relationship, the physical pillar was like all but non-existent. It's a lie. It's a lie. Oh, sorry. Uh, I said all but non-existent. That doesn't mean it was non-existent, but it was basically non-existent. There was some heavy petting. Uh, (laughs) It wasn't enough. Okay, Sarah, it wasn't enough. My pillar was dangerously low. And I think that it's interesting that it's like secular relationships. Like, yeah, the physical, the emotional, those are very important things. But like... You just slap Jesus in there onto a Christian relationship and your connection to Jesus together through marriage is so important. I kind of just like had that memory. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember those three pillars, people talking about that. And I also think, too, yeah, not awakening love before the time is right. That verse from Song of Solomon that was used sometimes to apply to all three pillars. Like you again, prayer is very intimate. And we know from our last bonus episode that there are different views <laughs> when guys speak out on whether they think a man and woman should be able to pray together before they're married. Yeah. It's too intimate. So prayer could be too intimate. Side hugs can be too intimate. Hanging out past 10 p.m. can be too intimate. But also, yeah. like, I think, too, one of the healthier parts of this teaching was, like, that you should not be just getting all of your emotional intimacy from a partner when you're not married. Yes. Another and teaching that's particularly yeah. toxic is that you should keep, I've heard this said so many times within church, that you should keep other people out of your marriage. So you shouldn't tell other people about the conflict that you're having with your spouse, but that you and your spouse should go to God. Ooh. Or trusted spiritual advisors. But then you don't get an outside perspective. It's really 
unhealthy like and i'm not saying you should be like gossiping about all your personal shit to everybody but like you should be able to have conversations with your friends about you know especially if things are happening that are red flags or you're not feeling safe or you're feeling hurt it's a really good way to isolate people perpetuate abuse yeah and that keeps people within a marriage like if people aren't getting outside advice from even people outside their religion or outside their church then they're going to be living in this bubble and thinking that this is it. And that's really, yeah, I hate to say this, but that's how cults control people is that they keep them isolated. And there's all sorts of different ways to isolate people. And this is definitely one of them. And it's subtle. That's one thing that's a little more subtle. It's not like, oh, well, you have to remain trapped in this room. But when they say to keep, you got to keep your marriage pure and within the marriage and then you work it out with God, like that's, that is a cult tactic in use. The model for headship and submission within like a sort of like traditional complementarian Christian view perpetuates the slavery of women within marriage. Because one of the reasons why, you know, the the feminist revolution, second wave feminism, women entering the workforce, who pursues the majority of divorces now? It's women. That's Mm -hmm. why the divorce rate is so much higher, probably because now women can support themselves And there's there's no fault divorce. divorce. There's things like child support and there's things that are put in place to make sure that it's equitable across households for children when there's joint custody or not joint custody. Yeah. And before all of these rules were in place, like women were trapped. You marry someone and that's who you marry. Not because of some principle. It's because you will die of starvation probably if you get divorced. Like you have nowhere to turn to. You have no means of income. And that was better than the alternative, being married to an abusive a-hole and being essentially a slave to him was better than being without food, without shelter. You know, if there's a Christian listening right now, they'd probably be like, we teach boys to respect their wives. Oh, it's even in the umbrella of authority, the... The thing that they say is men respect your wife or your wife serves you, you serve the Lord, but you respect, you love your wife as you love Christ. Just because you're teaching boys to respect their wives doesn't mean they're going to do that. And all you're doing is trapping girls and just rolling the dice. And the Bible never tells men to respect their wives. It tells them to love them. Oh, yeah, that's different. It says women (laughs) respect your husbands. Yeah. Because men need respect and women need love. Like, it's this bullshit of infantilizing women. If you're putting women below yourself and women only have, like, quote-unquote authority over the children and only have power, but you have the final say that concerns everyone, like, that is so toxic. And I don't think you can have actual respect if you don't view someone as an equal. I just don't think it's real respect. I think it's a cheapened, watered-down version of... I just, like, it pisses me off so much and I... It always made me so uncomfortable. I remember being a teenager and crying when I was like 13, 14 and crying and being like, I don't know that I ever want to get married because I don't want to be a man's property. Like, I don't want to give up my name. I don't want to be under someone's authority. You see, like in the Facebook vault, there's a conversation that I'm having with a friend when I'm in like grade 12, like the last year of high school, where I'm like going on back and forth about like, struggling with the whole headship and submission and then i'm like but then i heard god's voice telling me well sarah would you be my mother the same question that mary was asked and i was like well like i should view motherhood as an honor and you see me just trying to justify this shit in my head it's not natural it's not natural for humans not to have agency it's not healthy Uh, and it's just well it's tough because we say all these things and these are also when you look at these christian therapists online they also tell you like 
don't idolize marriage and that marriage is work and that marriage like things that actually make sense but the idolization of marriage it starts so young and I know this is a bit of a pivot but it's just like so prevalent and no matter how much you fight against it like you did in your Facebook vault those messages are still in there and your whole life your whole life is built around the idea that someday you will serve a man you're going to serve your future husband. You're going to be taken care of. You're going to be pure for him. Like you're going to purity balls. You're wearing a purity. I don't fucking know. Your purity ring is going to be replaced by your wedding ring on your wedding day. You're being passed from one man to another. And so no matter how hard you fight against it, like you still have all those messages. And you're lucky in a way that when you were able to leave Christianity, but you had an education, you had opportunities to have a job. You were not married when you left Christianity. You weren't stuck with nothing. So there are just so many women that, yes, they were taught all this growing up and then they followed it, even though they probably didn't want to. And they're still stuck. I am very like thankful that I that education and opportunity and career were always things that were on the table for me as a woman, because I acknowledge that there are families where it's viewed as a waste of resources to send a young girl to college because she's going to be a wife anyway. So, Sarah, before we talk anymore, what did you learn today? I learned that I'm still mad. I'm still mad. I'm mad about these things. And I feel so much for women that have been and men that have been shaped by these negative ideologies. And I just think that like, just the fact that things were so gendered and that so much of our future and our and our roles and what we'd be doing was just based on our genitals growing up within evangelical Christianity in the 2000s and the 90s. And I'm happy to see that it does seem like things have progressed within the church. And like, I'm well aware, I think that there's a there's a huge population of Christians that got some of this messaging, but it's so watered down and it doesn't have the same negative implications in terms of like defining the role of men and women within marriage. And I thank God, right? Thank God it's not that mainstream, but like... But then you, the pendulum swings really hard the other way. And then a lot of people like receive this messaging even more hardcore than we did. Something that I learned, well, I learned the same thing that I'm still very angry. It, it took me a long time to realize that these things still affected me and that I'm still... I hold these views, putting marriage on a pedestal, even though I don't want to, but it's just so deeply ingrained in my... Oh, psyche. Absolutely. And I think we societally still do put marriage on a pedestal, mm-hmm. a pedestal above above other things. Yeah. And like, don't get me wrong. I do love having a partner. I think it's great. But like, do I need to be married? No. Also, the Apostle Paul wasn't married. And he was totally cool and normal and not crazy. Rahab the prostitute wasn't married. I was trying to think of a woman. That yeah. <laughs> she was getting some. Speaking of Rahab, a strong woman that wasn't married. Let's talk about Rahab. Okay. Welcome to Storytime with Sarah. Sit back, relax, and enjoy a story from our favorite book, the Bible. Rahab the Harlot, Bible Gateway. So everyone, can you please turn in your Bibles to Joshua, the second chapter, so Joshua 2. And this is from the New International Version. Version, not virgin. New International Version (laughs) sounds great. Okay. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, secretly sent out two spies from Shittim. And this is spelled Shit and Tim. That's exactly (laughs) how it's spelled. Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, 
Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they've come to spy on the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, yes, the men came, but I did not know where they came from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went to go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under flax that she had laid out on the roof. So they're hiding under flax on a prostitute's roof. First of all, like, she has her own house. Like, good for her. Yeah. She's fucking killing it. That's, like, basically the only career option back then. <laughs> um, so then before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. For when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites east of Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you and the Lord, your God, is God in heaven. Okay, so she's acknowledging God. And then they said, our lives for your lives. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them go down by a rope and then they ran away and then they had the oath to her. And and she's also mentioned in... Matthew 1 5 and that's the genealogy of Jesus I think there's only like two or three women mentioned in that genealogy but she's mentioned oh cool but basically she was a badass woman who owned her own house and <laughs> let two dudes in I mean she was also like a traitor against her people because she was like look we're all really scared of you because God's destroying everyone so like please save my life and I will let you come and take over this land but moral of the story become a prostitute you can own a home okay in this economy in this economy, sex work might be the answer for you. OnlyFans. Only, yeah, start an OnlyFans and you can own a home. All right. Yeah. Be like Rahab and you might get mentioned in the next Messiah's genealogy. <laughs> the end. The end. This was great. Uh, I'm sad that we got mad, but I think that it's worth talking about all of these things and working them out in our brains because we're, we just got all this damage that we got to undo. It's so true. And you know what? As much as my little journey through my teens and 20s, as much as I talk about things that I made decisions based on a lot of like my right upbringing review. and the impact of purity culture, I would not change things for how they are now. It's part of the journey, but it's definitely not a journey that I want or our daughters to go through as they grow up. That's a that's very true. Yeah. They have other things to worry about, like the planet exploding. Yeah. <laughs> In a billion years. They, they got to start the science on that. So... Thank you all for listening today. Let us know what your New Year's resolutions are and we'll read them out. I was thinking we could add one more thing, yeah. like a feature. Mm -hmm. So like a plug to either like a book that we're reading or an artist that we like that's maybe like deconstruction typey. Are you okay with that? Okay, so we're going to do that every episode? Yeah. Okay, so what do you want to start with? I want to plug Emily Vaughn. She's really cool, super talented, and has this song called God Complex that is such a bop. Did you listen to it? No, I saw that. I know. I'm sorry. I oh, I'm putting it on right now, and you're forced to listen to it. You don't put that in the episode, but bye, everybody. Okay, bye. Okay. You're going to listen to it. Listen to the song, and have a great day. No, you can't.